Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report Top 5 podcast. Thanks again for joining us. If you've missed any back episodes, you can always go to progreport.com, find everything there. They're also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube. Of course, we have Prog Report Radio, which you can always check out. And uh, our Facebook and Twitter page will always keep you up to date on everything going on on the site, as far as podcasts, news, tours, interviews, etc., anything that's going on. Uh, you know, the response to the podcast has been amazing. The uh, Prague Band Fantasy Draft we did was a lot of fun and, uh, you know, did really well. And hopefully you guys got a chance to check that out. And if you didn't, I highly recommend that one. That was a, uh, a fun and interesting one to do for sure. Uh, you know, 2018 has been a great year. A lot of great music coming out. And as we wind down the year, there's still a few more albums on their way. And one, of course, that we're all really excited about is the new album from Roy Nestolt of the Flower Kings Transatlantic the Sea Within, and lots of other albums and projects. He has a new project coming out called Roy Nestolt, The Flower King. The album's titled Manifesto of an Alchemist, and it's out November 23rd. And uh, we have a really special top five today with Mr. Roy Nestolt. Uh, we're going to talk about his band that he founded, The Flower Kings, and we're going to do a top five Flower King songs. We're really happy to have Mr. Roy Nestolt with us. Roy, thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. All right. Well, this is a real treat and an honor. And thank you. I know you have a lot going on. You're rehearsing for the tour. You have the new album. You got all this stuff happening, which we will get to uh, along throughout the, the course of the show. Uh, also, of course, I want to introduce uh, our other guest, Jeff Bailey, who you guys know already from a number of podcasts and his Yes Years 50 podcast, which everybody really likes. So Jeff, say hello. Hello, everybody. Okay. So um, basically, uh, the reason that I thought this would be a perfect time for this is not only do you have a brand new album coming out, uh, Roy Nestolt's The Flower King, uh, Manifesto of an Alchemist, which I want to find out about that title, coming out November 23rd. Um, you just released a single, Lost America, which is awesome. There's also a tour that you guys are doing in Europe with uh, Spock's Beard and a bunch of stuff. So tell us all about what's going on. Let's, let's uh, you know, what's going on with the tour? When is that starting? What's, what's happening there? Uh, well, actually, before we go on tour in Europe together with Spock's Beard, uh, we're heading out to South America um, with the same band and uh, uh, playing, uh, uh, let me see, Brazil for sure, we're playing Argentina, we're playing Chile, we're playing Peru, and we're playing Mexico. Awesome. So, so yeah. Have you been to those countries to play uh, with Flower Kings before? Yeah, yeah, yes, we've been a couple of times with the Flower Kings to Argentina and to Brazil. Uh, we've been once to Chile. Uh, we've been to, we have not been to Peru, but we've been to Venezuela but we're not doing Venezuela this time. And we've been many times to Mexico, of course. So, so it's, um, but I, I'd imagine, I, I can remember now, but, you know, name of the venues, I'm not sure. I, I, <laughs> I think I recognize some venue that I felt like, ah, we, we have played there. So it's possible we played there. Maybe we played, maybe we played, uh, because we did one short tour with Transatlantic down to, South America, so it's possible. Could, yeah, be, could right. have been Transatlantic. 
but uh, anyway it seems to be nice venues and um, and uh, the audience is always nice down in south america i think and and one interesting thing is that it's uh, usually more of a mixed audience whereas if you play let's say holland or or germany or finland or something like that is usually uh, lots lots of guys in their 40s 50s <laughs> with short hair most of them you know have a, a, a nice daytime job you know and uh, they like prog so right. they go to a concert but in south america it's different you know it's it's a lot of younger audience it's a lot lot of women i would say almost like uh 50 50 or at least 60 40 uh, which is nice, and uh, to me it seems also that it's not like the guys bringing their girlfriend to see this boring band, you know. <laughs> they don't like, I don't like Prague, do we really need to go to this <laughs> Prague concert? Right. I know you love this band, it's not music. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, actually, it seems like, I mean, they're dancing, they're singing along to the music, so it seems like Prague, for whatever reason, uh, seems to be something that is more like um, not like a gender thing you know that it's just the guys liking right. their prog and they have all these Pink Floyd albums and Genesis album knows what strings Steve Hackett plays or whatever you know, <laughs> all that kind of you know right. it's it's more like well prog is uh, prog is prog but it is also it's music that you can dance to to listen to to you know you know, iPod or something like that, you know, when you're jogging and uh, why not? I think that's a very uh, healthy way of, of, of sort of uh, listening to any kind of music, uh, regardless of the, the time signatures of how many chords there are in a, in a song or, yeah. or whatever, the lyric topics. So the, it, it feels, to me personally, it feels fresh to come down to South America or even the Southern European countries to play this kind of music. I'm sure they love it. That's that's fantastic because um, it's always just it always seems like it's just Europe or or America sometimes, you know. So you get out of there. That's that's great. Uh, mm. And then and then you do have the after that the the Europe tour with Spock's Beard, which is to celebrate sort of the the 25th anniversary of the label, also Inside Out Music, right? Which you've been involved with the whole 25 years or 20 years maybe or how long has it been uh it's it's more than 20 years i think i think yeah. we signed we signed with them or could it be could it be maybe let me see i i frankly i don't remember i think we sound in 98 or 99 maybe so it's yeah it would be like 20 years then yeah that's uh that's pretty remarkable and 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 a lot of the side projects that you've done as well right the i mean what do we got transatlantic sea within uh, the Anderson Stolt stuff even even came out yeah. on there, so that's that's yeah. pretty. I've been cool. on I've been on tangent on car mechanic and that's right. <laughs> on album, so I, I've been everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> and, and actually, um, sort of also helped to get a few bands signed to the label. So, so yeah, I, I you know uh, I consider them to be my friends, the people at Inside Out and the people at Central Media. Uh, that's so for for many many years, you know. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I also uh, I want to ask you about the new album, which uh, comes out later this month, um, November twenty third. Uh, 
so t- talk about the the name. It's not just Roy Nestolt and it's not the Flower Kings. It is Roy Nestolt's The Flower King. So talk about that and what that means. Um, frankly, I don't know, really. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's something that was constructed by the record label uh, because I think my idea was to just release an album with music and what do you do if you release an album with your music? You call it by your name, of course, which in this case means I'm Ronnie Stolt. So for me, it would be natural to release an album under the name Ronnie Stolt, you know, right. because that's, uh, I mean, whatever happens, wherever you turn, whatever happens with music or, or with groups. So, uh, I mean, in the end, there's always you, you know, it is up to you if you want to write music, if you want to release it, it's, it's totally up to you. And, and uh, so that's something no one can take from you, really, uh, your name uh, or your music. And, uh, and that sort of create a, a sort of a freedom for me personally, uh, because you're always in bands and there's always going to be someone that don't want to tour in a certain period of time or there's someone that doesn't want to record a new album and don't have the time to write music for an album. So you're always sort of dependent on, on other people, you know, and uh, it's. I think it's in my nature. I'm a, a kind of, a, you know, I want to work and I, wor- <laughs> I want to work all the time and I want to <laughs> be creative, you know, and then if you're surrounded be pe- with people that are maybe not uh, as eager to work all the time, then, then you, you know, in my case at least, get a bit frustrated. So this kind of forced me into uh, or pushed me into the idea of actually just recording an album, you know, and asking people, whoever I wanted to, uh, can you can you sing a little bit on my album? Can you play some Hammond organ on my album? Can you drum on my album? Which makes everything, you know, easy and right. uh, very nat- natural, I think. Uh, but when it came to the release, and then, then that's a different story because then we have Inside Out and Central Media and the people at Sony, and they want something that sort of they want to have, if they want to release the money to <laughs> for, for your advance, they want to have some kind of guarantee that the album will sell, you know. Like so, a, so, think, so the name recognition really was... was maybe oh, more. yeah, yeah. And I had no problem with it, really. It was just like, it felt a bit weird to begin with. But, you know, honestly, it really doesn't matter. I think, uh, from my point of view, actually, I think that the audience know... But I could be wrong, of course. I think the audience know, you know, uh, they find out. It, to them, it really doesn't matter. They either they like the music or they don't. And whatever label you put on it really doesn't matter. But I'm, I'm sure there, there could be situations where it actually helped to have the Flower King label put on the album. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, probably. Yeah, no, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, uh, again, I think back, backing up what Roy has said there, you know, you're, you're he's someone who has been in an awful lot of bands and 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 is as well known. I I really enjoyed the album and can hear the parts that sound maybe like you know like the Flower Kings and the, and parts that sound like lots of you know lots of other bits from throughout. You know, what's a what's a really long career actually? I was just. I was just looking because I think actually next year you're probably f- about 45 years in music. Is that 
Is that, would that be right? Uh, it, it's possible. I started professionally when I was 17. Yeah. Wow. And, and I, I, I'm, you probably do the math better than me. <laughs> well, I think well, Ki- I, I got Kuiper in 1970. Wikipedia tells me you joined Kuiper in 1974, which was 74. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, which, and we recorded the first album in the summer of 75, I remember, and it was released uh, just before Christmas in 75. So that was my first professional band, my first professional recording that was released. You know. In 75 so it's a long time and many albums and i mean all the albums in between not only the prog stuff i think i counted uh, actually a couple of years ago i counted and i think it was around 200 wow recording wow <laughs> <laughs> that's impressive I, that, I mean that's up there in, in the music record books it's got to be i mean i don't know maybe some so people well. don't know that but that's impressive yeah, I, I have to add all, uh, that uh, uh, all these albums, of course, are not on, uh, under my own name or in a band that I was. It's it's more like, sure. well, let's say maybe half of them are whatever under the the Kaipa, the Flower Kings, and all all my sort sort of my my own bands. But uh, then there's always like studio recordings I've done, you know, added guitars on someone else's album, you know, whatever pop yeah. or folk music or or jazz or you know uh, and stuff that i produced where i maybe played some guitar or a tambourine or sang something you know and so it's uh, everything taken together I, I think is around 200 you know yeah but uh, there's an awful lot just in the last uh, uh, 20 years since i signed with inside out or since i started the flower kings you know it's 25 years uh wow it's it's a lot it's it's a lot you know i can't keep track <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because you know you see there's like a, there's an old message board uh, for the Flower Kings and I I I get it in my mail still and I saw just today I was laughing because I see this guy he was hoping to see certain songs played on the tour and so that would be like oh I hope they play Stardust We Are and I hope they play whatever the truth will set you free. And then he started counting songs. And what did they play? Maybe, maybe we can ask them. Maybe they have 15 minutes and we can just, we can yell <laughs> a song. Oh, can you play that song? <laughs> and I have a problem even remembering if they, if they say uh, a song title, I have to think very hard to know. I mean, yeah. those songs, are mo- the most common songs that we played or had in the set list. Uh, many years, of course, I remember those songs, but then if someone, just give me a, a a title of a song you know that was on Retropolis right. or, or back in the world i i may not even know wh- what song it is or <laughs> could you sing it no i, I can't could, could you could you show that guitar if i have right. no idea they could play it for you on their iphone first and then you can remember oh, it. yeah yeah maybe, maybe and so. are you are you counting then i mean is this your first solo tour or are you counting it as a solo tour are you counting it as something halfway between that and the Flower Kings tour or frankly I don't care you know I I I play with as you know with many many bands and I I I treat every every band uh, pretty much in the same way you know in in transatlantic I'm I'm one fourth or one quarter of this band you know And and in whatever Kaipa, it's well. I I'm a composer in that band too, and and a player. I was it in it, and 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 now we're sort of getting together again, and we made an album, and and I treat 
all the musicians or all the bands pretty much the same way. So yeah. I don't really distinguish yeah. uh, between between the bands, you know, and, and my position and anything like that. I wanted to get the top five going here and then see if yep, we okay. could maybe get some more discussion in between. So what I want to do, uh, Royna, uh, we're each going to go in, and we're each going to go in order and pick our number five song and then we'll go to four, three, two, one like that. Uh, but I'd like to give you the, the, the first uh, place to start. So what's your number five Flower King song that you want to want to mention here? Um, to be absolutely honest, I it's, absolutely uh, impossible to i mean i can't i, can't do <laughs> I know like it's this. putting I, you on spot I, I, know. I can't be serious you know because i mean i mean just looking at at uh, when we put together a set list now of course it's it's i'm trying to pick songs that i like but then on the other hand there's the keyboard player and say oh we got to play this song i love the flower kings you know he's kind of new to this and oh you, we have to have this song in the set list and 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 Hasse say, oh, we got to play this song because I really love this this bit, you know. And and Jonah say, oh, you know, we, we got to play this song. Well, and it's just just a big pile of songs, and and I'm in the middle of everything, you know. And then you have <laughs> writing, you know, on Facebook or whatever, and and asking, oh, will you play this song? Will you play well, that song? Well, this is it, a, this is the chance for you to to just do the ones you want to do. So no, <laughs> no, but what I was going to say is is. When I look at the songs, um, I don't know. Of course, I, I have picked five songs, but, you know, um, don't take it too serious. Of course. Yeah. No, all in good fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like uh, if you would ask me tomorrow, I'd probably say something, something different. <laughs> you know what? Okay. We, might, we might do the same thing. That's, we we <laughs> okay. struggle okay. with this just as, just as much, believe me. Yeah. Uh, well, if I pick the, well, if we go f backwards, then uh, from the bottom, whatever yeah. the bottom is, the bottom is, in my, my, uh, in my view, is uh, kind of not the bottom, really. <laughs> it's a great song um, that, that was uh, the opening track for, for possibly my favorite, favorite album of the band, uh, that, that, that is Start As We Are. And the song that's opening that album is a song that's called In The Eyes Of The World. Yeah. Great and I think that, that song has everything I like about about the more well, let's say powerful side of of prog rock that has a bit of metal, it has a bit of classic prog, uh, you know, and uh, a bit of old and a bit of new and uh, uh, great playing from everyone, in particular the drummer, Jaime Salazar, mm -hmm. does a great job on that one. Um, yeah, I, I, I see like the song and I, I, I realize now when rehearsing it that, oh, this is, this is going to be great, you know. It's very tricky to play, you know, it's, it's not easy to play. And I see my, my, my well, would be like the Roin in the 40s recording this and trying to make, uh, you know, this fantastic prog, prog song, a prog epic. Uh, and put it, putting in everything in the song, and uh, well, there, I, I would say, uh, looking back now, I say, yeah, there's there's plenty in this song. You know, <laughs> there's there's so much, but really cool stuff in there. You know, lots of really cool Hammond things and and uh, odd rhythms and uh, breaks and uh, some very cool guitars and uh, the vocal melody isn't bad either. So, so it's a great song, all in all. 
crystal ball What may come in my way Tell me the truth, do you love me? Cause I haven't come here to play Listen to voodoo tongue teachers Just taste the stardust A place in your mouth Yeah, uh, one of my favorites uh, as well. And uh, you're right. I mean, it's a good, like, real uh, upbeat, you know, rocker on that on the on what's going to be when you start listening to it. An album that goes in a thousand directions, but that that's right away just a a hit shot to the face, you know, with with how that song opens. So uh, I love that one. Uh, I think it's probably the most. kick-ass opening track of any Flower Kings album ever because we normally we put like a big epic in the beginning and, right. and when I say epic is is usually like a 25 <laughs> 30 minute song you know <laughs> and, and they would normally start building you know with some some very spacey synths and stuff and then gradually building up but this one is really kicking butt from the get-go and and that's kind of uh, unusual for for being a flower kings album i think awesome that's uh, perfect all right jeff what's your number five okay again like, like roina whenever when, whenever you're coming to pick it's it's incredibly difficult some of these we've done before for for artists probably with even with even fewer albums than flower kings have we've actually done best album picks so this this was really good and so um I, I suppose my my starting one um relates to how i first um got into the flower kings and that was um that was via transatlantic and um probably um being being from the uk uh, i'd have heard heard, heard of Merlion. i was very into um spock's beard neil's music and was you know, was aware of Dream Theater. Um, Roina was was the, was the unknown for me whenever Transatlantic um, came out. But um, very, you know, it was very clear to hear a brilliant contribution to that band. And um, so the song um, that I have is the, is the one that they did on the on the first tour in the medley, where they did a medley of of all the the sort of related band songs, um, mm-hmm. which is there is more to this world. Uh-huh. from Metropolis. Um, so I would say the first time I heard that was the, the little excerpt in the transatlantic live medley. And again, it's a, I guess it's a, you know, classic prog intro. Um, it's, it's got time signatures going all over the place from the very start, you know, which obviously takes a big box for, for a prog fan. Um, you've got Royna's very uh, distinctive vocal and um, you know, it, it then moves into a number of different solo sections, some crazy stuff, those kind of Zappa type moments that you you throw into there, and then uh, actually a very to, to my ears a very sort of yes like acoustic section um, where Hase is singing there as well, and mm-hmm. and a big close. So in terms of a kind of eleven twelve minute whatever it is prog epic you know it it is you know 
it's it's a classic one for me. And as I say, the connection from one of the one of the very first things I heard of the band. Brother, hide if you can Take these words from the medicine man I saw the sign of men with cold hearts With heart of stone and holy rolling stone How did you pick that to be the excerpt when you guys were doing that, Roy? Of of all the material, what was the deciding issue? Uh, it was it was actually not me picking it. It's well, I think it was Neil picking it. And hmm. uh, I remember the first time meeting Neil. We were playing with the Flower Kings uh, at uh, what was the uh, Prog Fest in Los Angeles in ninety. 98 I think or could have been 97 97 perhaps and uh, and we uh, we were playing there and uh, I think we were about to set up could have been for sound check or could have been for the actual gig and 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 I was sort of fiddling around with my amp and then I I just looked up and there stood this guy with long hair because Neil had long hair at the time <laughs> believe it or not <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> ring back Bring back the long hair. <laughs> Do you hear me, Neil? Bring back the long hair. Right. Well, uh, and and he was. It was so funny because uh, I was standing there fiddling around with my amp, and and I would looked up, and there was Neil, and he didn't say anything. He just started singing. There is more to this world. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's funny. And, and with with a big smile, and and then he he stopped and said, "I really like that song." And then he told some story about him and his wife driving the car and, and you know, and they found this Swedish band and finally a prog band that, that actually can sing or have someone that can sing or something like <laughs> right. that. You know, or have great melodies, you know, it's not just, just prog fiddling. And uh, that, was, that, that was actually our first meeting, you know. And, and, uh, and uh, of course, when we got to play together in, in Transatlantic and uh, I think it was... You know, Neil, who said, oh, please, can we please do this more to this world? And I said, sure. Whatever you want to do is, is fine. I like the song. So, so oh, why not? Cool. That's mm. great. Um, that's really cool. Um, you know, uh, so I'm going to go for, for my number five. But I, you know, it's funny, Jeff, because I almost have the same story with discovering the Flower Kings the same way. I mean, I knew... Uh, being in America, it was, it was Dream Theater, and then I somehow stumbled upon Spock's Beard, you know, sort of American bands, and uh, before internet, sort of, or maybe around the time, just, and, and uh, you know, didn't, I, I didn't know what the Flower Kings was yet, uh, and, and obviously with Neil I, and Mike being in Transatlantic, I, I checked that out, and I loved it. Uh, you know, right away, loved uh, your contributions in transatlantic and then you gotta okay well now we gotta know who this guy is and then you know that kind of thing which but prog fans love that the minute there's a new band or somebody a new member in something and you get to start researching that's like the greatest um so but for my number five i'm not i'm, not, I'm gonna go to something that i didn't actually hear until 
way later when I started going back and rediscovering some of the albums that I had missed from, from the band that you have done. And uh, I'm going back to the first record, uh, Back in the World of Adventures, and it's the, I, I guess, almost the, the title track, the opening track, World of Adventures. Mm -hmm. That's going to be my number five. And I think, uh, God, that song's amazing. I don't, I, I'm trying to imagine where you were back then writing that because it is so already advanced in and a sign of what was already going to be i mean it's it's not like some band starting off and it's you know pieces of what's going to become it's it's already amazing there and you it's way before more people started to know what you were doing and that song is just insane so i mean how did you come up with that and was that always the vision you, once you came up upon that sound and you wrote it, that this is this is the direction I want to start going. Yeah, I think the direction was was um, was already set. But uh, let's put it this way: uh, when I did the very first album, that was just called the Flower King, uh, that was released in '94. Um, right. The album with the with the Flower King guy painting <laughs> right. on it. Uh, when I did that. Uh, and I had absolutely no idea there was a, a, a crowd of prog people out there, you know, in, in whatever, England and Norway and Finland and America and South America and Japan, all that music. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know, I just wanted to make something that meant something to me, you know, and I had no, no um, illusions of actually selling albums. But uh, once I did that album and, and uh, all the great reviews were coming in and I started selling albums, I was almost shocked, you know. So I think it was probably from that shock, you know, realizing there is an audience for this kind of music. And, and in this uh, euphoria, you know, of, of realizing that I probably r started writing more music and um, Back in the World of Adventures was one of those tracks. Yeah. So it's, uh, that's the that's spirit cool. of um, yeah, that's another one of those uplifting kind of kind of standard Flower Kings type songs, I think. But love that one. Back in the world of adventures, in grand new adventures, expect to fly. I'm deep into sonic and radical strangeness And I don't know why We're on the field in the summer night In silent kisses in black and white And we'll make footprints on a high ground We're children of a Uh, all right, so we're going to go back around to you, uh, Royna, your number four, or the next song, we'll call it. That's actually the very, very, very first song uh, on the very, very first album that's called The Flower King. It may not have been the, the first song I wrote for that album, but uh, it, was, it was sort of placed uh, in, in the beginning of the album, for obvious reason, it has this very catchy chorus, 
which is also uplifting. The, the lyrics are positive and uh, there's something very, I don't know, uh, uplifting. There's, there's some kind of a, I don't know. There's something about the song that just makes me smile. And uh, it's, it's fun to play it live, as we did, of course, in the beginning when the band started touring. And um, it's, a, it's a kind of nice mix between this catchy, almost, well, uh, sing-along or a pop chorus, but uh, the song also has the, the middle section with, with lots of um, instrumental stuff that's fun to play. Yeah. And a bit of up-tempo. And, um, well, it, it has, like the other songs, like the song you mentioned before, Back in the World of Adventures, it, it has many different themes and, and um, workouts <laughs> all through the whatever 12 or 10 minutes, you know. <laughs> and it, it sort of um, defined the sound, I think, for what was to be the Flower Kings, you know, with the guitars, with the keyboard sounds and lots of vintage sounding keyboards, you know, this time. And, and this was also, you have to remember a time when there were many new synths coming out and many of the contemporary bands, they were using lots of that stuff, you know, lots of whatever can't remember now, but from coming out from Korg and Roland and Yamaha, those people, you know. Yeah. Lots of modern uh, big layer sounds, but... Uh, but I was more into uh, electric pianos like Fender piano and the Verlitzer and Hammond organs and Mellotrons and, and the Moog and stuff like that. So I think that that kind of sound was uh, manifested on, on the album and in particular on that song. I think. When you look back and at you know like the very first song like that, like you're saying something like that, and you then compare that to like something from the new album and where your head is and where you're writing and how you're looking at a new album, do you, how much has changed in how you approach an album and how you song right now versus back then? Well, I think uh, a lot have changed, but at the same time, not much have changed. <laughs> <laughs> the, the music scene well the the big change for me is actually that i'm aware of 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 um, there's actually movement going on you know and there are fans that want to buy these type of albums this um, that sort of waiting for all the whatever spock's beard albums the flower kings albums or the stephen wilson albums or whatever you know these type of albums to come out because that's their type of music they want to <laughs> that's the type of music they want to buy, you know, or yeah. they want to collect. And um, so, so that's something I was absolutely not aware of because I, when I started out, I, I felt like the, pro, the all the prog prog scene or the symphonic rock 
prog was something that was in the past, you know, besides maybe a couple of bands. There's a couple of bands from England like Marillion and Pendragon, these guys, you know, and as you say, yeah. Dream Theater in, in America. But Dream Theater was more metal and and uh, and bands like IQ, Pendragon, they didn't make much of a splash outside of England, really. I was aware of them, but but, you know, it wasn't the same. It wasn't any Genesis or Gentle Giant or Yes. You know, it, the, also right. the music wasn't really at the same level, I felt, at least. Um, as, as I, w- I wasn't really running to the shop when buy, <laughs> to buy a Pendragon album, if, if I'd be <laughs> honest. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not, it d- didn't hold the same... Right. I don't know. There's some, something that's magic about the old Yes albums or the King Crimson albums. Sure. Or Genesis. Because they're playing. They're playing well, they, they, might even, they might even say that. I, I'm sure yeah. they do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they do. Because there's something that, thinking back, you know, and looking at it, you can see they had everything, you know. They had great songwriters. They had great vocalists. They had great players, all of them. This was just not one guy in the band. I mean, normally you're, you're lucky if you have one really talented, whatever, guitar player or drummer or something, you know, that can lift the band to a, a, another level. But I mean, these guys, like, yes, they had, <laughs> it's crazy. They have people like Bill Bruford yeah. on drums and Steve Howe on guitar, Chris Guire, you know, Rick Wakeman and John Anderson on the vocals. It's yeah. it's just insane. Or Emerson, Lake and Palmer. <laughs> Three guys, you know, that can really play very complicated stuff you know and, and and all the other bands too and even bands like genesis uh may not be looked at uh, as uh, prominent uh, instrumentalists but i think they were really listening back to some stuff they've done you know and even some rehearsal stuff they've done it's just amazing how well they played the music you know in the beginning and this was already around 72 or 73 you know when they were making albums like Foxtrot and and Selling England. So I think that to come up with a band that has the same quality is not easy today, you know. You're you're lucky if you have one or two guys that are really good players or or composers or... Yeah. uh, So I I think it's... um, it's And I think think they existed in a world, you know, of... Of much more innovation, you know, and uh, you know, get, getting getting to grips with new but pretty basic technology, you know, like a Mellotron, and you know, how, how can we use that? Or you know, what happens if we put a Hammond organ through a Marshall amp and all that that kind of experimentation? That today, you know, we have all of that technology in our pocket on the phone, and it's all already it's all already dialed up. It's all already there. You don't need to figure out how to do it, and that's why. I think probably, as you say, the thing that's really, really important is then the writing that sits underneath it, because you can do all the, you know, all the stuff, all, all the different things today. But but it's the writing and it's the songs and it's the material that actually is what is what mm. lifts and carries it. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, all right, Jeff, you're up. Okay, um, I'm gonna um, come a bit closer to the present day with my number four choice. Um, so I've only ever seen the Flower Kings live twice, um, living over in this remote island of Ireland. Um, and it wasn't in Ireland. I was over um, for two shows on the tour that they did with the Neil Morse Band in 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. And uh, tr- there was 
obviously given the length of the songs the the set lists of those shows were probably four or five songs but the the track that i had heard but that really came to life when i heard it live was rising the imperial Mm -hmm. um i was i was just doing my homework on my list before we we dialed in there and i realized that actually that's a song that jonas wrote so out of all of the all of the hundreds <laughs> of songs that Royna has written oh i think i think you co-wrote the words um but you know probably m- more laid back than some of the crazy prog thing um mm. you know a very you know pink i suppose pink floydy type vibe a brilliant guitar solo which i just remember at those shows going i really need to go and check that track out you know because it it just came to life and then there's that um conclusion where um you know hasse comes in with the you know with with the with the high vocals um that that is just you know it's probably not a a a track that might feature in a lot of people's top tens but it but it's one that haven't seen it um in concert I'll, i'll i'll not i'll not forget it Count the angels that God once sent And in the turmoil you just look for friends The sweetest devil hides the blackest core I scratched the loudest color surface And I found a foe Rising the tide I think it actually at the time the album was released i think it was one of the tracks that uh, attracted uh, people and and reviewers and people felt it was a really good track and it is a really good track i think yeah. and i think it's a nice contrast because as you say it's it's more like not really scaled down but it's it's um it's not so complicated to play and it's not like a complicated construction yeah. uh, so i think that um uh it's it's easy to you can hear it once or twice and you you get to you get yeah. the picture you understand what the song is about you know yeah. uh, which makes it kind of a prog song but also more like an easy listening prog song yeah. which is nice as a as a you know uh for change you know because there's there's other stuff on the album and and maybe my personal favorite on that album is is the opening track but uh, i think I think uh, Rising the Imperial seemed to be something that people really enjoyed seeing us play live, you know, yeah, because yeah. Of, of, of the, uh, you know, it's easy to take in, you know, as you say, it has that typical, like the Gilmore guitar solo style yeah. thing that people can relate to and everything. So yeah. I think it's... Um, Another side of the Flower Kings. One of one of the things I'm interested in that sort of it, it, it relates a little bit to that song is it's quite un, number one it's quite unusual in prog I suppose to have a band that has really two lead vocalists and you know what brought Hase to the um, 
the Flower Kings, and and you know what what do you think it is that he he brings to everything? Uh, Hasse was was actually brought in before the Flower Kings was a band. Hasse was was brought in uh, for the very first record that that was called the Flower King, yeah. which was basically a solo album I did, pretty much what I what I just did, you know, with the Manifesto of an Alchemist. Yeah. I made an album and I I just brought in some people playing or singing on on that album and Hasse was one of them so he sang on two songs on that album and uh, and he could sing like no other in the more like the higher register uh, notes high pitch notes that I can't reach really so so that was and and I because I remember I was working at studio and I heard his band a couple of years earlier and I remember that singer, you know, and he was a nice guy and he was singing all these crazy high-pitched notes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so a little bit of a, a metal singer, but also there were qualities that were sort of bordering to people like John Anderson and, and these kind of people. So I was thinking, why not bring in him and sing the chorus for The Flower King, for instance? Yeah. Which, which I did. And... Um, and when when time came to actually take the band out and play live shows, it was natural for me to to ask Hasse. And I yeah. think his very first show he played was in Canada, in Quebec City, and he was scared to death because <laughs> it was <laughs> not not only for joining the band, but but I asked him to play guitar, and I said, "I've, I've seen you play guitar," and he said, "No, no, no, I can't, I can't." I said, <laughs> "Yes, you can. Of course, you can." All I'm asking is that you play a few chords, a few riffs, and I've seen you do it. You can, I'm, I'm sure we can do it. So, um, so it was. Yeah. I think it's, he he was a little bit. I don't know. He didn't really have the confidence to do it first, but I was sort of pushing him, and uh, you know, and so we did that, and we were playing live, and and then time was up for recording more albums, and then you know, I I used him for more songs, and. Uh, and uh, it became sort of a, uh, it, I mean, it was impossible to actually to go out and play the songs without Hasse because he, his voice is very distinctive and uh, recognizable. So I couldn't really go out playing it alone or I couldn't go out playing it with some other singer. It had to be Hasse, you know, and as I said, he's a super nice guy. So, so it all came very natural. All right, let me uh, let me jump in here so we don't take three hours. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to jump all the way to the, I guess we'll call it the last Flower Kings record or the last one to have come out, um, uh, Desolation Rose, and it's the opening track, Tower One. Um, and that's going to be my number five. And, uh, you know, the reason I sort of was, was listening to a lot of Prague, obviously, always, um, but I... I think I missed Banks of Eden even coming out. And so I knew Flower Kings were sort of on hiatus. And then I started the prog report around uh, 2013. And that's when I started getting press releases from labels and, you know, more news and starting to become more aware of everything that's coming out. And then I think that's when um, uh, the Solution Rose came out and I was like, Oh, well, the, the oh, no, a new Flower Kings. That's a surprise, you know? And, uh, uh, I, I love that album. I think it's one of the best albums you guys did. Um, and uh, the opening uh, track is just this massive epic. Uh, brilliant. Kind of kind of on the heavier side also a little bit. 
Um, but uh, great. One of my favorite songs. By the way. Well, let me ask you something about the band now when that ended. Is that, is that for good? Is, that, is this solo album just where you are right now and you don't know? Or where's, where is the band sort of generally? Because it's a lot of the same guys, right, right now with you. Well, there's Jonas playing bass and Hasse, of course. Um, and then I have um, two other guys, uh, an Italian drummer, Mirko Di Maio who is um, sort of an unknown um, uh, up till now. <laughs> but he's a great drummer and, and super nice guy. And uh, I think he really uh, is... Um, he he plays many different styles, you know, and that's something you, you need to be able to do in a band like the Flower Kings, you know. You need to sort of go between almost like jazz to orchestral percussion to, to metal and pop. You have a nice groove. It's important, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so we brought him in, and um, we have Zach Kamins, who is a, a keyboard player who lives in California. Uh, someone who who I worked with uh, as a producer some five or six years ago for an endless sporadic, which was his band, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Yeah, I am actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, uh, and and I knew him more like a, a, a guitar player, but uh, and and someone who played occasionally keyboards. But uh, he turned out to be a keyboard player too. And uh, at the time we were planning the tour, uh, he just sent me an email and say. Uh, I'll, I'll be your second keyboard player. He was thinking Thomas was go, go, going out with us and playing. So he said, uh, I'd like to be your second keyboard player. And I said, uh, well, I know you can play the guitar because he's a great guitar player. And, and, he, and I said, send me a tape where you play some 15 minutes of a Flower King song. And he did. And it sounded fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, he's, he's, uh, and he loves the mu- music, of course. So, He's a big fan, and that I think that helps. You know, you gotta have love for the music when you play the music, and um, yeah. So, so I think um, this is what we do now, and I I can't really tell. There's no commitment. There's nothing said about okay, l- let us do this for another five years or anything like that. It's more right. like we do this tour, and then we'll see if it's fun and everyone seems to be happy and on board. Then maybe we may do more shows and and maybe even record with with a unit as it is you know we'll see i keep it open you know that's that's what i want to do right now and uh, sign up to anything for a very long time cool 
All right, great. Um, all right, Rhino, your next uh, choice, your third song. Um, that would be a song that actually finished the album, the double album, uh, Unfold the Future. And this track is called The Devil's Playground, oh. which yeah. is uh, kind of an odd song for the band. Um, it has lots of symphonic uh, sections in it. It has, um, I think it has a blend of, of myself and Daniel Gildenlove singing. Um, it's kind of a long song, so it's one of the big epics. I, mm-hmm. The album is sort of bookended with the, the, um, the Truth Will Set You Free starting the album and uh, The Devil's Playground is finishing the album. So they're both around the 30 minutes <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so it's nothing you you will hear at the discotheque i think but i i kind of like the song it's um it's it's interesting because it has all these middle sections with um with kind of symphonic orchestrations and stuff and um, it has well i like the lyrics i i like the song as as it is as a whole and we we did play it uh, one tour i think but since then we haven't played it for a long 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 time usually the band think it's too complicated to play <laughs> and, I, and i usually say no no come on guys <laughs> let's play it. <laughs> let's play it you know it's i don't mind rehearsing another two weeks you know but no we have only five days to rehearse you know <laughs> Chaos in the galaxy of hate Pick him out, your bird of prey Let him rule a thousand years Segregate and fuel the fears Drawn into a tasteless dream Out of tune from start to finish Restless, far away from home Him calling me a senseless liar Leave it with a bitter taste of blood I mean, you could say that about more than half the material, right? It's, it's, it's oh, come on, come on. I'm, I'm struggling, to be honest. I'm struggling now, but it's fun. I, I smile. I have a big smile on my face when I'm rehearsing the songs. It's, it's great fun. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> did I write this? And why? Why did I complicate everything, you know? And I was thinking, you know, because we, we as probably you know, or maybe you were even there, we were playing uh, this um, this cruise a couple of years back, and yeah, yeah. and and with Flower Kings, and we were playing a set with John Anderson, and right. and uh, we were supposed to play three songs, I think, and um, you and I, and and uh, Starship Trooper, and one more uh, long distance runner on, I think, yeah. and and uh, suddenly John just sent an email saying, oh, how about we play the first side of Topographic Oceans? And <laughs> 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 I think. I don't think Mike ever heard Topographic Ocean. I don't think he ever heard Topographic Oceans. Pete maybe heard it. But, you know, and I said, yeah, come on, I love that, you know. And then I thought, no, no, that's impossible to play. But I was thinking, and then, then I, I said, well, 
we have we still have like uh, whatever three months you know to learn the song <laughs> so i said okay uh i think i think mike mike and neil said probably yes without knowing the, the complexity of the song and i knew oh and particular i would say steve house guitar work which is is very yeah. odd you know because yeah. he's not like a regular guitar as you know he's not a regular guitar player there's lots of really odd timing and and uh, lots of improvising and stuff that you need to 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 learn and and um, i mean just listening to the song but i mean i love the song and i love that album so how can i said how can i possibly say no to playing the first side of topographic so we said yes you know yeah. and that was super complicated but then uh, i mean I, I i felt it was super complicated in comparison to transatlantic or the flower kings but now after being uh, you know away from the flower kings music for some time and i go back and play i probably say uh, this music is the most complicated music i ever played in my life <laughs> <laughs> but I, could, I couldn't really see it that way when we were in the middle of everything i realize now how super complicated the music of the flower kings is i couldn't really see it before but now, now it's, it's like a new beginning sort of I think, right, I, think what, I think one of the things i just about the band in general is i think it, it's sort of to me it's always been a band that embraces that kind of um you know the if you like the yes side of the the more ethereal side of things but also mixes in the kind of darker you know king crimson side of things you've you've kind of got something like the devil's playground which you know lyrically is quite you know is quite dark and bleak that you could never really imagine john anderson singing um you know but that, that's one of the things you, you know about about the flower kings albums that i like that there's such a breadth of of styles within them even though within this thing that we call kind of prog you know yeah um my my next choice then um so yeah going back to the period when i kind of first connected with the band uh, rainmaker album 2001 and last minute on earth um which begins with the uh that strange album opening of the the throat singers um if you remember, if you remember that, um, <laughs> oh. I remember. I remember. It, 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 it always. It's funny how music reminds you of different things. But I remember being in Paris at the Pompidou Center once and seeing some of those guys outside performing and being transfixed at that. This weird stuff, and and you know that that song has a one of those kind of angular, angular sort of dark, uh, you know, rock based riffs at that, that. Those sort of album openers that. Um, that Royna talked about. Last minute on earth, what would you do? Who would you call? Your mobile is down, you'll go down in history on that final day.
again a very melodic chorus you know dropping back to an acoustic interlude um and it's the the maybe this first of the second album with with jonas in the band um and he's doing his fretless bass in different sections on that um how, how did how did he come about to be connected to to the band Rhino? Uh, it was actually on recommendation from the drummer at the time, Jaime. Uh, he knew Jonas. And, and my brother, who was in the band, had a daytime job, or he got a very, very uh, good daytime job yeah. uh, as um, you know, um, a booking agent for a big outdoor venue in, in the center of Stockholm, you know. So, so he couldn't really turn that down. And um, so I, I actually... To be able to keep on touring, I needed to to get another bass player, you know. And uh, so Jaime recommended Jonas because he didn't know Jonas that well, but he maybe jammed with him once or twice, and and um, he knew people who knew Jonas and said he he can play anything, and uh, surely he can, he can play anything. <laughs> yeah, and he's a funny guy too. Yeah, and well, I mean, he's he's become one of these guys that pops up on every album, almost like you. I mean, Jonas is yeah. everywhere. Yep. Which is, uh, and he's, he's awesome. Amazing, amazing player. Um, all right, I'm going to jump in uh, to my number three. And uh, I think it was, we mentioned the title before, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have it as my third choice, which is um, uh, Truth Will Set You Free from Unfold the Future. Uh, another one of these long epics that is, uh, I mean, everything that the Flower Kings is, you know, uh, I love the epics. I always seem to go back to the long songs. Um, and uh, yeah, that's another one that um, always stands out to me. And and I, th- I think it's one that even after only hearing it a couple of times, it almost just, it's it, it seems like it's written in a way that every, nothing's forced in there. It's almost all kind of naturally there because right away after just a few listens, you sort of remember... Yeah, a 30-minute song, which is, almost makes no sense, you know. But um, it's, it's just written in such a, a natural-feeling way to me, the way it came out. That's what you try to do uh, all the time or most of the time. Sometimes you go for something. You actually try to write something that would have a section that is surprising. But, I mean, normally you try to to have a, a flow, you know, themes coming in and out. And you have uh, whatever the chorus coming back, but with a church organ or, or the... Uh, the the guitar theme coming back but in a different tempo or different key or something like that that's that's the trick of of writing <laughs> prog rock or symphonic <laughs> right <laughs> and so would, would you I, I, might, I might add also that that um actually the truth will set you free was also my song next song song of choice so oh, we're okay. sort of Perfect. saving time. <laughs> all right great um, so continue continue yeah, talking about it absolutely and, and another thing is actually both that one and um, the other one you mentioned uh, uh let me see uh 
was it uh, from the Rainmaker uh, last, last minute, minute to both those songs are on the set list now for our show so oh perfect so I, I sort of uh, reconnected with the songs just recently and uh, I know them inside and out so to speak <laughs> perfect uh, you know Unfold the Future is another one of the more celebrated albums um, was there anything special that went into writing that record at the time uh I don't know. I think it was uh, just a very, um, very creative time for the band. You know, we were uh, playing to bigger audiences. We were, uh, I don't know. There was just something about something happening around that time, you know, and uh, maybe I think we were selling more albums. And I think actually Unfold the Future is our best selling album up to this date. Yeah. Uh, so I think we were just creative and, and uh, I remember we were talking, me and Thomas and Jonas and uh, I think between me and Thomas we said uh, we have lots of material, why don't we make another double album and, that, and, and then knowing and then we were sort of laughing because <laughs> we were thinking well, uh, we actually did Start As We Are, which was a double album and then we did uh, Flower Power which was a double album and then in between we made <laughs> Space Revolver and, and Rainmaker and, and we kind of it, it became almost like a joke you know uh, uh, like a band joke that oh we should we should we should go back to making double albums again <laughs> <laughs> well who I mean Neil Neil the has the same the problem right yeah, uh, Neil always says that he starts every album not deciding to not write a double album and it always ends up a double album yeah, yeah, I know. And we were thinking, okay, the Beatles made one double album. We can make more than that, you know. <laughs> well, and their, their double album is not as long as one of your one one uh, yeah. single albums. Yeah. And the yeah. thing about it is, with the with the Kingdom of Colors box sets, yeah, uh, which we, whenever you actually put all of that together, there's still three albums worth of bonus tracks. <laughs> there's three full <laughs> CDs of bonus tracks on top of the double albums and the single albums and everything. Else. I, I apologize for that, guys. <laughs> that was great. No, it's, it's, I'm still I'm still making my way through those discs. Um, oh, by the way, we should mention the Kingdom of Colors boxes. Thanks for bringing that up, Jeff, because those are amazing. There's two of them covering uh, you know the first few albums, and the other one covers the the second half of the Flower Kings. They're really well put together in a nice box and they're just awesome so if you're missing any music that's a that's a great collection um the first yeah. one is is really hard to get now is it i, well. I know I, I think they sort of miscalculated they they were thinking maybe we will sell whatever five thousand or something and then i think i've seen it people are asking for it and it's sort of Turning out that ridiculous costs at uh, whatever eBay and yep. stuff like that. So um, it's it's really difficult to know because you know many people have the albums already. Will they buy the box? And how many people are, are there out there that want to buy a box like this uh, because they don't may have one or two CDs and they want to you know collect the rest? But right. it's it's absolutely super difficult for the record label to know how many how many should we press and right. and uh, the thing is a box like this is not, not something that you do like a regular cd because a regular cd you just like do a reorder yeah but for this it's kind of complicated to do reorder because i know i don't know the specifics around it but it's as you know it's it's a box and the, you have the the cds inside and 
you know. But they're super nice, and I think it's a really nice price. And I actually remixed uh, "Untold the Future" for for that yeah. particular box, uh, which is nice because it's a much better mix, I think, in my opinion, at least. Great. But uh, yeah, for anyone that want to connect with the Flower Kings, I think it's uh, it's absolutely uh, a bargain. Absolutely. Um, all right, Jeff. Number two. Number two, well, we've we've already talked about it. My number two was the the Flower King track, um, and I was I wondered whenever I wrote that down was I cheating because it wasn't technically a a the Flower King's track, but I'm glad that that Ron already had that. And uh, um, yeah, we've we've talked about that quite a bit. I suppose the one question I had, and it's more a general one, but that's a a good example, is you know when you go about writing something like that, is that something that you'll kind of that you'll have you know a song like that which has a sort of you know a start and an ending and lots of stuff going on in between will that be a you know you have 30 ideas and you sit and try and work out which four or five fit you know best together or will that be something where you'll have sort of thought through the different sections that that will involve uh, well as you know it, it was a long long time ago but yeah. as i remembered it and i think it's actually a fact i had I had the mid parts that what I had and I kind of liked them, but it felt like, I don't know, it felt like fragments of ideas of, of instrumental stuff that was great. That was interesting, but it didn't feel like a song. So I think yeah. I just sat down with an acoustic guitar and I felt like, well, this, this song will be so much better if it actually had a vocal part or something that's more, sort of down to earth or or you know more like a sing sing along sing sing a songwriter yeah. part you know uh, yeah. because it makes for a nice balance uh, so i think that's what happened you know and i just placed the, the vocal parts in the beginning of the song and at the end of the song okay uh, that's great. yeah so so that's i mean normally it would be the other way around you have a song and then you think the song needs something more it needs a couple of interesting solo bits in the middle but yeah. in this case i had the solo bits in the middle but i didn't have the actual song so that happened when i actually uh, was in the studio uh, working with the song i felt I, I need to spend a few hours fixing this and i think actually the voc vocals and the the, the lyrics came very, very quickly. It it didn't take me long, maybe an hour. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's what is what is the Flower King? <laughs> what is the million-dollar well, question. I, I tell you what the Flower King is. It's, it's interesting. I think most people don't care, really, to be honest. But <laughs> uh, the truth is, uh, the Flower King is actually a guy who lived here in Sweden in the 1700s. Uh, called Carl von Linné. <laughs> I'm sure that the name doesn't ring a bell for you guys, but he was actually the guy who named, uh, he went, uh, uh, he traveled all around the world, you know, into South America and to faraway places to Asia and found um, uh, and named uh, flowers uh, that he found, you know. He, wow. Uh, well, he, and he has the, like this big botanical garden here in, in my hometown in Uppsala. So I live actually, I live actually in the town where he, well, where he was born and where he lived with his family in the 1700s. And um, he's a very, very famous guy here in Sweden. Everyone knows who is it, who he is, but I think uh, outside of Sweden, I'm not sure. 
but he named all the flowers in Latin. So I think that's kind of a global thing. So if you whatever um, take take out a book with uh, checking out uh, flowers and you read the Latin names, it's this guy who this guy from my little town in Sweden who oh, named the flower, flowers in Latin. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, cool story. I didn't know all out and you know and and uh, I think it's interesting and. Uh, so that was actually the reason why I thought of the, the name, the Flower King. It was connected to, to you know, to my hometown, to, to Sweden, to, and, and also the idea of the Flower King uh, was this painting, you know, that I did just for fun. And, and everything sort of connected. And I, I said, why, why not call the band the, the Flower Kings or call the album the Flower King? Which, of course, I have, I've, I've regretted every now and then but <laughs> most of the time not you know there's always people that, oh that's not a cool name that's not a cool and in particular of course the the english or the americans you know they think well that's not a really cool name for a prog band is it oh i think it's very proggy though i i don't know i i i do i think it is i think yeah. it works yeah i've mean, just read it you know people think it's oh they they want to have something else that's uh. that's more I don't know. You can never read stuff on, on uh, <laughs> you can never read stuff online. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, let me see. My, my second choice is uh, the, one of the longest songs ever garden of dreams. Um, <laughs> and uh, from flower power, this is uh, 60 minutes. Um, is it, was it written? Uh, deliberately to be that length or, or did you write, the different smaller parts and, and it sort of eventually became there. Was it at some point only 40 minutes and, and then it just, you decided to make it longer. How did it end up that way? Yeah. I mean, I mean, of course you, you don't write a song that's 60 minutes in an instant. It's like you start writing and then <laughs> five minutes later we have a 60 minute song <laughs> because it will naturally take some time to write a song that, that length. But, I think, if I remember right, this was actually something that happened back in maybe 98 or 97. Uh, and I had an office uh, for, because the business at the time was, you know, with, with, with recordings and, uh, you know, touring and everything. You know, I had this, I, 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 my kids were small at the time, so I couldn't be at home, you know, because they were, <laughs> they were making noises, you know, I couldn't be on the phone and all that. So I, I had to rent an office. Anyways, I rented this office and I had some keyboards and stuff there and, and Thomas came over and we were talking and, and um, I said, we, we need maybe to write, start writing music for the next album. And, uh, and he showed me something, which is the beginning of, of, uh, of the Garden of Dreams. And I said, well, that's, that's beautiful. That's great. That's great melody here. Uh, so, but he had a couple of minutes and I said, uh, well, l let us just keep writing, you know, and see what comes up. So we were gradually just expanding the song with more themes. And, uh, and I think somewhere around the, whatever, 25 minute line, I think we were just laughing and saying, this is going to be a long song. And I think <laughs> at that point, actually, I think Thomas said something like, why not just keep going, you know? Yeah. And I said, yeah, why not? <laughs> we, we can, we can make it as long as we can, you know, but there's a limitation. There's a CD can hold maybe at the time. I can't remember now, about 60 minutes, something like that. 
So that will that will be the limit for the song in any case. Uh, I said it to me it doesn't matter if it's 35 or 40 minutes. But we just, you know, we met the next day and we kept writing uh, as long as we found the song interesting. And uh, and then, you know, we, we kept going for a week. I think Thomas worked at the theater at the time also. So I, if I remember right, I finished maybe the last seven or eight or ten minutes myself, you know, and just the big finale. But uh, we were throwing in, he was throwing in things and I was throwing in things and... And uh, once we had the melodies and stuff, I started writing lyrics. And uh, we, you know, just saw this song <laughs> gradually expanding into whatever. I can't remember now, about 59 minutes, I think. There's no such thing as blank and total darkness. I mean, it's it's interesting because it not only is it it has that sort of unique sort of gimmicky thing when you look at it and you see it's sixty minutes, which is always in, intriguing. But yeah. it, it is it's it's actually interesting throughout. It's entertaining. There's good parts. It's it's oh, yeah. it's it's a well well written. In fact, I mean, you could argue it's an album by itself. But um, yeah, the, uh, incredible achievement. Uh, and really, I mean. You know, if you look at what you and and again we we talked about Neil before, but what you guys were doing in that period of the late '90s there really is is evolving to a lot of people following into writing more of these epics. I mean, there's not other than Supper's Ready in the in the '70s and and you know Topographic Oceans and and some mm -hmm. things like that. The, the long 30 minute epic was not a common thing. It, it's it's seems way more common now but i think that really comes from what you guys created could could be i mean i i, I the way i look at it now a, a song like garden of dreams is more like i think it has more similarities to maybe to the beatles abbey road side two yeah yeah yeah. Actually, yeah you know what i'm saying yeah it's, it's more like um songs stitched together Whereas uh, songs like Devil's Playground or The Truth Will Set You Free is actually one song with different themes, you know. Right. Or, or if you look at Yes, Close to the Edge, for instance, it's like one song with different themes. Uh, so, so I think that Garden of Dreams is more like a collection of songs, the way I see it, at least. Uh, we were sort of tagging new ideas, new song bits onto each other, and then we ended up with this epic, which was of course, an achievement, and we were laughing <laughs> all the way. <laughs> and I remember, I, I think I remember, uh, it could have been Mike or Neil, they were, when they realized we had done this super epic, you know, they said, oh, I realized you guys did a song that's almost an hour, you know. <laughs> and they, we, and I think Mike said, we got to do a song that's an hour, which we did. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 
That's funny. Um, well, th- this list couldn't, we couldn't have this list between three of us and not have that song on it. So, so I'm, yeah. glad, I, I'm glad I put that on. Yeah. Um, okay, Roina, your, your last song, your, your number one. My number one. What was my number one? Uh, my number one is actually the song uh, Start As We Are, which is the title song of, of the album Start As We Are. Um, that's for me, uh, I mean, altogether, that album is a very happy album, a very creative album. I think the band, uh, and in particular me and Thomas, uh, were at the peak as, as far as the writing and ideas and experimenting and everything. Uh, the album as a whole has lots of great ideas and great melodies and great themes. Uh, the song, The Stardust We Are, has, of course, the closing section with has this, the, the most recognized uh, yeah. vocal part, you know, with Stardust We Are, which is kind of catchy. It's something that we played for a long, long, long time in, in the live sets. But I think also the other parts of the song, for me, are a lot of fun to play. They are uh, interesting as far as themes and uh, time signatures and, uh, uh, well, the de- development of the song itself is, there's just something about it, you know. Maybe I, I see it, well, through rose-colored <laughs> rose glasses. <laughs> because at the time we were, you know, we were in, in a phase of, of uh, you know, uh, getting more recognition on the prog scene and getting lots of offers to play lots of festivals. Uh, so it was a very happy time. And we were very creative. You know, we had not, at the time, not much money to go into big studios. So we were actually recording in in our rehearsal place, you know, with uh, like a reel-to-reel machine and then hooked up with uh, whatever, ADAT or something like that. Um, so... So we were just creating with whatever we had, you know, and, and Thomas was bringing his sins and his ideas and we were doing lots of crazy stuff and having lots of fun and being, uh, you know, doing yeah. all this crazy stuff like, like Circus Brimstone is another great song on that album. But I think the collection of, song, of songs on that double album is actually, in my personal view, the, uh, the peak of the band uh, as far as being creative and inventing songs and in in the typical flower king style and i think the the song stardust we are is something that present a lot of that so so i have to pick that as my number one sail the sea the moon and the stars build this window beneath the pool lend a hand to drown and fool See them saviors come so cheap We lose our touch And down we go into the deep Driving down the memory lane Dusty dreams from a fading sun Remember how the horses run We play the stars, we walk the moon We burn the road, lay down the gun
Yes. Incredible song. One of the uh, all-time best songs, I think. I would agree. Um, yeah. uh, Jeff, uh, what is your number one? Yeah, well, so my, my number one um, is the first song on the first Flower Kings album that I bought, um, which is I Am The Sun, part one from Space Revolver. And again, that was that was straight after Transatlantic. And, you know, I guess this was back in the day when music was perhaps less disposable than it is today. I can remember ordering it um, from one of the mail order companies that specialized in prog. And, you know, you had the, it's not quite the vinyl days, but you had that exact excitement of the, the CD landing and yeah. the, from yeah. an artist who you didn't really know and that first track just made me go, yeah. And I think one of the things we haven't actually mentioned, but actually it came to mind when we were talking about Garden of Dreams. That, um, and I don't know whether this is a particularly a European thing. Um, and I guess I can probably comment, seeing as that we're just about still in Europe here in, in the UK. Um, you know, but the, the sort of the slightly humorous lyrics, which maybe, you know, if you, well, uh, you know, if you look at Garden of Dreams, you know, Attack of the Monster Briefcase and Mr. Hope yeah, Goes yeah, to yeah. Wall Street, you know, <laughs> and, you know, you've got I Am The Sun, which is, you know, Grow, grow My Beard, I'm Still a Child, yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the Danny Kay of present day. Yeah. And then there's that kind of jazz breakdown in the middle where there's the I Left My Heart in San Francisco, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. and, and that that kind of humor is something that I think is is probably quite it's maybe back from the Genesis days. It's certainly more European. I think some of some of maybe the more serious bands wouldn't wouldn't venture into that territory. But uh, but I but I really like that song. And um, <coughs> the obviously the part two then closes the album out. Was that was that originally envisaged as one one long thing no, that you broke no, up? No, that, yeah, it was the, the idea was to to uh, do one song, but uh, I think it was my idea to actually cut it into two because I felt it we have done many times like opening with a, this big epic and uh, I don't know it just felt like maybe the song was too much to have in in one go so I don't know it was like a very fast decision and I said uh, uh, how about just trying to do the first part and then put another song or a couple of other songs in between. And then in the end it ended up, well, what about taking the song and, and let this song book and the album as a whole, you know, uh, that's nice, you know, and you heard it on many al other albums, of course, with bands doing that kind of thing, you know, or yeah. from Beatles, Sgt. Pepper, you know, when they're doing Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band coming back in the yeah. end, you know, in a kind of rockier version, but yeah. Uh, and it has this, the other thing, it has this very uh, big symphonic ending. Yeah, yeah. Which I felt was the right way to end the album. And uh, I mean, we haven't talked about it since then. So I, I suppose everyone was okay. But, you know, it was actually one, one long song from, from the beginning. And we just split it up. And there was no more talk about it. <laughs> Just the same I'm the master of my game Take the bloodline, you may say Danny Kay of present day Close my hand and weigh my wand Brainchild of your one man Now, now I'm not the 
So I didn't want to say it before because it's going to be, uh, you know, I knew I was coming up with my number one, but my number one is also Stardust We Are. <laughs> and so I figured I would save my little, my little piece uh, until now. But look, I, I, not, to, not to go too much extra about what, because you obviously, you know, what you said was, was from the person who wrote it. So, um, but, but I can get, tell you the, the perspective of just somebody listening to it. And, um, you know, the long epic thing, it's interesting because you're always, I'm always drawn to them as a lot of prog fans are, but there's something about certain ones that makes them stand out that become more memorable, that become sort of the classics, the favorites, you know, uh, Supper's Ready is one, um, Stranger in Your Soul, Transatlantic for, for me and, and for a lot is, is one. The Stardust We Are is absolutely in that category for me. And, uh, you know, the ending, not only the part where, where the, the vocal part ending, but, but after you think everything is almost done and then it comes back with the, the last couple of minutes with that little guitar thing, that little melody at the is just like my favorite part, and it's so simple and be- pretty, and it's uh, just a memorable, brilliant little line that that gets played over there to close out the song. And I think it's um, it's like uh, one of the ones as a as a new prog fan, it belongs in the uh, the education. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the, one of the songs that uh, every prog fan should know, and and the album's a, a masterpiece uh, as well. So. I think it's interesting Interesting what you say. Uh, we're talking about these songs and I, I find out that a lot of the songs that you mention now is actually on the set list. <laughs> so <laughs> I must, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't take credit for it because we're, we're like I said, Hass, Hass and the other guys in the band have suggested songs for the set list. But it seemed like we zoomed in on the right songs because you, you are two guys. And, and I feel pretty much the same. The songs we have been talking about now are most of them in the set list. Uh, not, uh, uh, let me see, not uh, uh, Garden of Dreams, of course, because it's too long. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but the others, like like Stardust and The Truth and The Flower King and, and uh, I Am The Sun, etc. So that's interesting, you know. So Very that's, cool. You're on the right track, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're on the right track, it seems. All right, so uh, well, Rona, this was—I can't tell you how much fun stuff like this is for us prog geeks to be able mm-hmm. to sit and, and do this kind of stuff with you. And I hope it wasn't too painful and you had a little bit of fun with it. Um, uh, no, no, no. I had my coffee and I had my coffee, and I'm sitting in a nice sh- studio chair, so everything's fine. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, okay, so just to recap, um, new album, Royna Stolt, The Flower King, uh, Manifesto of an Alchemist, comes out November 23rd. The single, Lost America, is out now. Maybe by the time this airs, there'll be a second single coming out. Um, I'll try to get this out soon. Um, and uh, don't forget, if you're in, in South America or Europe, um, the you know catch the band on tour. This is, uh, by every indication, going to be an amazing show. And um, thanks again, Ryan. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for the time. And, um, you know, we'll talk again soon. Jeff, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. 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 Bye.